This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Amoir makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Amoir, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for new-to-use styles. Now, I mentioned on the podcast recently that I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for four and a half years, and that season of my life came to a close recently, and I was like, I forgot I can wear normal clothes again that don't need to be breastfeeding friendly or constantly changing in sizes with a postpartum body. And so now I'm left with trying to figure out, well, what do I wear? What is my style? I can't even remember. And styles have changed so much in the last few years. And so I've been having fun experimenting with different types of clothing. And I love that Amoir has allowed me to try some different styles of jeans and kind of step outside my comfort zone and figure out what I love, what works for my body type, and to not have spent money on things that I was like, mm, actually, this doesn't work after I wore it a few times and realized I don't really like it. And so it's been a great opportunity for me to try out some new things and help me to define my personal style. And I also love that the style quiz, the different suggestions that they gave after I took the style quiz it was right in line with what I would want to wear. And so I have just loved this service and I would love for you to get to try it out and get a great deal. Right now, my listeners can give Amoir a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit amoir.style forward slash crystal. That is amoir.style 
A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash crystal to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Amoire today. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Now, let's get a cup of tea and spend a few minutes together. Here's your host, wife, mother of three, and entrepreneur, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of the Crystal Payne Show. Like we told you last week, Jesse and I just got back, well, uh, as we're recording this, from a trip to Destin. I almost said Destin, Tennessee. <laughs> Destin, Florida. I don't think there is such a thing as Destin, Tennessee. It could be Destin, Tennessee, because like half of the people down there are from Tennessee. That's right. It is the place to go if you live in the Nashville area. And we had never been before, but two other couples that we're really close with invited us to go. And so it was just, it was a great trip, Jesse. Oh, it was amazing. Amazing. And it was our first time in a, well... I was going to say in a long time that we went on a road trip together. We figured out that we, the last time that we went on a longer road trip was actually our honeymoon. And by, right. I need to clarify this. Like the last time we over went over three hours on a road trip by ourselves, right. we've been on many road trips with our kids, but the last time we went by ourselves just us for over two hours, I think that we could come up with. I would think so. Three to four. I mean, at least it, it was six hours down there. So. Six hours. It wasn't that much of a road trip, but it was really weird for the two of us to just be driving in a car together for six hours. We're like, we don't know how to do this. We we way overpacked <laughs> because <laughs> way overpacked. <laughs> we packed more stuff than probably <laughs> if we had the kids with us. I think three quarters of the stuff that I packed never got used. Yeah. But hey, we were prepared and we loved getting to see the beach was just beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was like pool water. It literally was. And we would walk out and we went on jet skis. And even when we were on the jet skis out where it was quite deep, you could see down sometimes all the way to the bottom. Yeah. It was amazing. It was really shallow in certain parts, but even where it was deep, you could clearly see outlines and it was not murky at all. It was beautiful. We think we saw a shark. Yeah, the shark swam underneath us. When we were on the jet skis. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I was going to push you in, but... <laughs> Actually, I was thinking, you don't push me in. And then we saw a lot of dolphins. Mm -hmm. They would, in the mornings, we could see them out off of our deck of the Airbnb that we were staying at because we were right on the beach, which was crazy. We went in the sort of off season and we split the Airbnb three ways. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. we got a great deal. And it was just beautiful, but we'd see the dolphins just swimming by. Yeah. And, it was crazy. And some of them got within 20 feet ashore. It was easily so crazy. And then, of course, then when we were on the jet skis, too, there were some coming up. It was just, it was pretty surreal. And then we got to see actual live sand dollars, a whole bunch of them when we went out in the ocean. Baby shrimp and baby, baby jellyfish. Baby jellyfish. Super cute. Really weird when you kind of pick them up with a net, but... So while it was a great trip, we did miss our kids quite a bit. We always miss them when we're away from them. Um, Jesse's dad did such a great job of taking care of them, and they had so much fun with him. But it's good to be all back together. 
Mm. Although Catherine and I are getting ready to leave to go to Utah. I'm speaking at a blogging conference there this weekend, but I'll only be gone for one night. And then I think I'm home all the rest of May, which will be nice after a lot of traveling for both of us. It's been I think, busy April. Yeah. I think you're home all of May at this point as well. I think so. Yes. I need to come up with a trip. <laughs> no, we <you laughs> need to stay home for a few weeks. This episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, Ann Bogle came on to do an interview with me and we talked about highly sensitive people and it was such a great interview. We just got to talking and we both had a lot to share on this topic, as you'll see. And so Jesse and I decided that instead of having a really long episode with both of our segments or all of our segments at the beginning, or trying to cut out a bunch of her interview, we would just air all of the interview and we wouldn't do our segments at the beginning because we do try to keep the episodes to about 35 minutes or less each week because we know that your time is limited. So let's dive into this interview with Anne. Anne Bogle is actually the first guest I've had on for a second interview. So Anne, you have the honor of being that first person that made it to the second round. <laughs> Such an honor. Thank you, Crystal. I'm so excited about today's conversation because we're going to talk, talk about something that is very personal to me and I think to Anne as well. Is that right? Yes, that is fair. And that is the topic of what it means to be HSP or a highly sensitive person. And in case you haven't figured out, it's personal to me because I am very much a highly sensitive person. I didn't know it though until I read Anne's book, Reading People, which is a fantastic book on different personality typing systems. And she talks about how understanding them can really change our perspective on the world and help us to relate better to others. But when I got to the chapter on highly sensitive people and I read it and I was like, what on earth? She is describing me perfectly. This is weird. So I went and I took the test that's online that you can determine whether you're a highly sensitive person. And I scored, I think, a 99 out of 100. <laughs> I, th I think there's 27 questions and I was like 26 and a half. I answered a resounding yes to. And it made so much sense. And it has opened up this whole new understanding of myself and then a language for me to be able to help other people, Jesse especially, to understand me and this weird way that I'm wired that's not so weird. It's actually more common than most people realize. So we're going to get to that. But first, Anne not only has two books and a podcast that most people have probably heard of because you can't, you have to be living under a rock if you haven't heard of Anne's podcast, What Should I Read Next? But you might not know that Anne has a brand new podcast, a second podcast that she recently launched. Anne, can you tell us about that? Sure. And it is brand new. We just launched the very end of March, the same day my third book was due. So that's <laughs> Which is crazy. <laughs> Did you plan it like that? Um, you know, sometimes you just look at the realities of life and how the things on the calendar align and you take a big gulp and you're like, okay, we got to do... No, that was not the ideal life plan, <laughs> okay, I but didn't it's the think way it so, worked out. But I was like, wow, two huge things in one day. But I was leaving town the next day. So then you can just wash your hands of it and do something else for a week. And that was lovely. That I do recommend. But on what should I read next? regular listeners know that every week I talk to a guest, a reader who tells me three books they love, one book they don't, and what they're reading now. And I recommend three titles 
they can read next. And the point of that is to feature a wide variety of readers. So everyone listening someday, somehow will go, oh my gosh, that's me. And they'll feel like they're the one in the hot seat and they'll get wonderful book recommendations just for them. Um, Although it's fun to listen the other times too, because you can learn as much about yourself by hearing what doesn't work Mm -hmm. as by listening things that do make you go like, oh, that's so me. So um, what should I read next? I do get to talk about books that I love, but not all the time because my Mm -hmm. taste is not the same as everyone else's. That's how it works. We're all made differently. And that's why we're talking about highly sensitive people today. But that's the concept behind One Great Book. Every week I pull one standout selection off my personal bookshelves and I tell the readers all about it in 10 minutes or less. I love that. I just, it's perfect. It is just so perfect for you and have a feeling you're never going to lack material for that podcast. (laughs) No, I'm never going to run out. (laughs) It is tricky to think like, oh, if I'm only talking about one book at a time, which one comes to the top of the stack Mm -hmm. today, but I'll figure it out. Well, I'm excited about that and excited for people to get to go check that out because I know that most people who listen are also book lovers. So go check out One Great Book as well as What Should I Read Next if you've for some reason been living under a rock and haven't checked it out. So let's talk about highly sensitive people. Um, When did you first learn about this concept? I actually read about it in a book, but it wasn't Elaine Aaron's book. Elaine Aaron is the researcher who coined the phrase highly sensitive person and whose research led her to be able to categorize it so neatly for people like you and me to go, aha. But I was actually reading Quiet by Susan Cain, the book about introversion. And Elaine Aaron appears on something like page 58 and Cain quotes her a little bit. And I just want to say right out that a common misconception is that highly sensitive people is a subset of introversion. And that is not the case. 30% of HSPs are extroverts, but that is where I came across it. But Elaine Aaron was describing what it means to be a highly sensitive person. And I really think she has maybe two paragraphs in the entire book, but I read her description and I went, oh wait, that's me. And I Googled it and I found her test and I got her books from the library and I, I read them all and I just began learning so much. But it was just those two paragraphs in someone else's book. I read the description and I recognized instantly that is something I've been dealing with my entire life and I can see it in my children too. And that's what it is for so many people who are highly sensitive. That's what happened to you. You find out, oh, this is a thing. This is what it looks like. And oh, that is so me. And it makes you feel so much less alone because I always thought something was wrong with me. I mean, I was like, how are other people? Jesse is sitting across the table from me, nodding his head vigorously, (laughs) very vigorously. Because I was like, how are other people handling these situations? These, how are people not just freaking out in these situations where I just felt like my skin was crawling because of being just overstimulated or it was just too much for me. And so I'd love to hear from, you know, for you, when you discovered this, how did it open up the world for you in a different way? Oh, wow. Well, first, I just want to say that your experience is so common. I, right after I found out that highly sensitive people is a thing, or we should say high sensitivity is a thing and highly sensitive people are everywhere. They're 15 to 20% of the general population across species which I found fascinating Mm -hmm. that a panda bear could be highly sensitive. But I started blogging about it right away, like back in 2012, maybe. And I still get probably one email a week that says, oh my gosh, I thought that I 
was not cut out for family life, was actually literally losing my mind, was going to go move to the woods in a cabin and live by myself. And But now I know what it is. And now that I know what's happening, I can do something about it. And you said that it was a big realization for you about yourself. It was a big realization for me about myself too. But I also get emails that say, I thought there was something seriously wrong with my kid. So I've been disciplining them for being highly sensitive for their nervous system for years. And this has just been a real turning point in our family, which is wonderful, but also like a serious <laughs> deep breath, take a gulp moment, which is why I think realizing what it is is so powerful. For me, I think it just, it gave me a sense of control again. It let me say, not just like, oh, why is this so bothersome? Or why am I the way I am? Or why does my kid act like this? But it let me go, oh, well, this is the situation. We have tools at our disposal. Let's figure out how to use them. So it turned something that had been a source of angst and worry and sometimes fear into a problem to be solved. And I mean that in the best sense. It was a problem that could to a large degree be solved. And I felt like I knew how to do that. And from there, you can start paying attention and begin implementing fixes. You can't make it go away and you wouldn't want to, but there's so much you can do to improve the experience for yourself if you're an HSP or if you are around them. Well, and I think, you know, just understanding that 15 to 20% of all species our HSP, like that means I feel like everyone needs to understand this because if you don't, there are so many people around you who are dealing with this and you are not going to be able to have any groundwork for understanding them at all. Oh, you're just going to get super annoyed and not understand why they're so uh, much work, but that's <laughs> not what's going on. Well, and I think as parents understanding this for our kids, because I know we have one child for sure that is HSP. And I just have a, an ability to connect with her in a way that, and understand what she's going through. But then also Jesse can understand, not fully understand, but at least we have a language to work with so that he's not, he just isn't thinking she's just being crazy. This is just, you know, why are you flipping out or being bothered or, you know, why is this causing a problem for you? But when we understand this, it's given us so much more compassion and empathy. Yes, that's a great way to put it. It does give you a language to assess, discuss, and intervene. I don't really like that word because it implies that it's like something bad to be managed, but it does, it does show you how you can move forward. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that if you can't name it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So understanding it is the first step. I was just talking about this in my discipleship yesterday. We were talking about how the the first step to to healing and wholeness is when you recognize that there's a problem and that's in different situation. And this is not a problem, but just recognizing that there's a difference and it's okay. I think for me, it gave me permission that it was okay that I like to have my house really clean, that I like to have clean countertops and that when I have clean countertops, I function so much better. That's not a problem. That's okay. That's the way I'm wired. And so I'd love to hear from you, you know, what are some of your greatest struggles that have come from being HSP or what are the things where it really kind of just presents itself? Well, I have some that are just purely independent of me. I know that I cannot put words together while I'm talking or on the page while there is music with words playing in the background. Yes so just realizing, amen. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
just because everybody else can listen to whatever wonderful music with words while they're working doesn't mean I can like period the end. It means that I can work in a coffee shop with like a low rumble of conversation. But if I'm sitting next to people having a very loud conversation and there's nothing else going on to like turn that conversation into a rumble, then I need to move or leave because nothing good is happening in my brain until Mm -hmm. that, um, is taken care of. It means if your pants don't fit, you're going to have a really bad day. Go put on the pants that didn't get shrunk in the dryer. So those are things that are just me. But then a lot of the high sensitivity issues become really apparent when we are around others. So I have a yellow lab. Labs do not have the reputation for being uh, chill. And I have four kids. And I also live with my husband. So there are seven living beings in the house making noise and taking up space and leaving things on the floor and the counter. And um, that, you know, like we have a house rule, don't speak when somebody else is speaking. And you might think, oh, that's just good manners, but it's also survival for the highly sensitive person because they can't process two streams of anything coming in at the same time. It shuts them down. Um, And I am generalizing a little bit. Not every HSP has an issue with noise specifically. Like there's quite a few different triggers for highly sensitive people. but Noise is a huge one. Like Elaine Aaron calls it the bane of the HSP's existence. So if she's comfortable generalizing, I guess I'm comfortable (laughs) generalizing too. Um, Just realizing that I do have several children who are highly sensitive. Will is not, which there are perks to being highly sensitive. There are also some perks to being non-sensitive, which is the value neutral way to say people who are not highly sensitive. It doesn't mean they're insensitive. They just don't have a super finely tuned nervous system, but just realizing what those people need and that if you're bothering them with your noise or your clutter or your bright lights or whatever, it's not because they don't love you dearly. It's because they feel like their nervous system is being assaulted. Mm -hmm. It's like whenever I just, I came downstairs to my office and Jesse was sitting in here and he had his uh, podcast on And he can listen to a podcast and watch something else at the same time and try to have a conversation with me. (laughs) He knows that if we are going to have a conversation, he has to turn off everything. And he just can't understand. He's sitting here shaking his head again. He can't (laughs) understand how I can't just have the podcast going and have his the show on and we can be talking at the same time. Like, why can't you do three things at once? Aren't women supposed to be good at multitasking? And so that's what I think for us to learn, you know, for him and in our marriage, for him to respect that I have to have it be quiet if we're going to have a conversation. You mentioned something about you know, that there are gifts that are part of being HSP. And I'd love for you to dig into that a little bit. So what have you seen is like, this is actually a good thing from this? Because I think some people could just look at this as like being HSP is a bad thing. Oh, no. I mean, if your socks drive you crazy, of course you wish they wouldn't or the tags in the back of your shirts. But I don't think most HSPs would want to sacrifice the things that come with the territory. Mm-hmm. Like, Those who are highly sensitive have a strong tendency for self-reflection. They tend to be very intuitive. I mean, I'm a writer, so it is a gift to be able to notice subtleties in my environment and those cues that other people just often miss because they're not paying that much attention. Not because they're being lazy, it's just not in their nature. Those who are highly sensitive also process the information brought in through the senses extremely thoroughly and they feel things more deeply and they experience what's happening in life 
deeply as well. And nobody wants to give that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think to that ability to feel what others are feeling in this really poignant way, for me, I've had to learn how to somewhat separate myself in that because otherwise I can carry everything so much. When someone shares their burdens with me, I just take it on and I just am carrying it for them. But it's such a gift to be able to sit with them and feel that with them. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so grateful for that intuition, being able to see those little details and connect dots in a way that I think sometimes other people don't because of the way that I'm wired. And so I do see that there's so much good in it, even though some days I wish that I just just didn't (laughs) bug me that my jeans, you know, like this material on my sweater is just going to, it's just bugging me all day and I just need to change, but I'm not at home. Like, why did I wear this thing? (laughs) I hear you. And I'm so glad you mentioned the big feelings. And it's true that HSPs often are highly intuitive If you want to do some interesting reading along those lines, Google intuitive empath. But many people, when they think of triggers for highly sensitive people, they think of things like noise and clutter and texture. Seriously, the tag in your shirt driving your kid absolutely bonkers is a huge sign to many parents that their child is highly sensitive. But things like big feelings or when you're talking to a friend or the news media are also common triggers for highly sensitive people. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yes. And to recognize that I can't watch certain movies or listen to certain kinds of news shows or types of news that I will just take it on and it will just be too much for me. Like it will just be too heavy for me. And so respecting that and realizing that others can, but just for me, I can't. And that's okay because it's just going to be too much. Right. And it's really good to realize that because otherwise you can be completely overwhelmed by what you encounter there. And then you can be overwhelmed by your own emotions because HSPs do not feel things halfway, whether that's sadness or fatigue or joy. Um, I mean, they it's all or nothing. Mm-hmm. So for people who are listening, who are saying, wow, okay, this sort of resonates with me, or I think maybe one of my kids or someone that I know might be HSP. How is the best way to determine that you're HSP? High sensitivity is one of those things where if it's you, you will recognize it. So I just listed some common triggers. Others are things you might not immediately think of like consecutive errands or meetings or appointments because nonstop go, go, go really drains the HSP with if there's no time to recover in the middle or things like decisions or things like people because people are stimulating and interesting and, um, you know, flip that on switch in your brain. I would, well, I talk about this in chapter five of my book, Reading People, which is interesting because high sensitivity is not a personality framework. And my book is about the personality frameworks that have helped me a lot. But what I noticed in talking to people over the years was that understanding how high sensitivity how high sensitivity works functions in the same way as understanding these big personality frameworks, because it is a piece of who you are or who the people around you are. Um, Understanding what you need or where other people are coming from is crucial. And once you know what it's like to experience the world through that perspective, you can do something about those things that need some help. So I would recommend starting there. And then uh, Google Elaine Aaron. I, I do give a link 
to her self-diagnostic test in my book, but you can Google to find it. It's Elaine Aaron, high sensitivity Google assessment, and you'll find a quick little quiz. It's the one you referred to earlier. And these are easy questions that you'll know the answer to. You could answer them for your kid, but you can easily answer them for yourself. Like, am I bothered by tags in my garments? Um, how do I feel about noise? How do I feel about loud music? How do I feel about bright lights? And just the assessment doubles as a kind of um, eye-opening experience on its own because you know that she's asking you these specific questions for a reason. So the questions on the assessment hint at the areas that would be particularly potentially troublesome to a highly sensitive person. Do you find that most people will know instinctively that they're HSP or then the people who are kind of like, hey, I don't know when they're really waffling over the questions probably is an indication that they're not? I think when you know, you know, and Elaine Aaron has written that this is her experience too. When people who are highly sensitive or who have a highly sensitive person close to them, when they find out what it is, I mean, they don't even need the assessment most of the time, mm -hmm. but when they find out this is a thing, you instantly know like, ah, that's me. That's because that's kind of been my experience as well. And when I've asked certain friends, can you take this test? And they're waffling over this and they're like, I don't think that I, you know, but then friends who are HSP, as soon as I talk about and they're like, what? What is this? Oh my word. You know, so, so I feel like there is that. And I just wondered if there are some people who can be like, they could be, but they're, I don't know. So um, anyway, but I think waffling is rare. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's good to know. That's kind of how I've, uh, how I felt, but I feel like you've done a lot more research on this. Um, and then you talked about being able to thrive, that understanding this can help you then be able to thrive better in the world. And I'd love for you to speak into that. So for the person who is hearing this and they're feeling some big feelings about this right now, that, you know, <laughs> that this is them and they're thinking, okay, well, okay, I know this is me, but what do I do about this? Well, I think a lot of people just want to know that they're not screwing up their one precious life. Mm -hmm. Like you're not doing it wrong. This is a thing. Here's your pat on the back. It's okay. Now, maybe there are some things that you could do to manage in ways that make you feel more healthy, happy, and whole, but there is nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of people, that's just good to hear right off. Many highly sensitive people, once they're able to put a name on what is going on, they intuitively know what they need. If you're listening and you don't intuitively know, I'll just suggest some common things that many highly sensitive people find to be helpful. Again, every highly sensitive person is different, but there are certainly patterns. So things like building in some quiet. You said that you can't think when the your house is a wreck. Seriously, mm -hmm. clean kitchen counters, peaceful, clutter-free environments, privacy. Something very practical you could do is, uh, for example, when my family is around, I like to be available. But sometimes it is really good for me and my work, but also just me and my general feeling of calm to shut the door because mm -hmm. of the noise thing. Um, a little bit of downtime. Like I am really struggling this time of year because right before spring break, when I left town, with once my book was out and my deadline was launched, we had every kid in my family needing to be different places at different times every night of the week. And we don't even let them do a lot of activities, but they mm -hmm. all happen at once. So being on the go, go, go from like three to seven 30 or later every night, like that was a lot for my highly sensitive self. 
there wasn't a whole lot I could do to manage it, but just knowing this is a season, I know exactly why it's bothering me and it will get better. And I'm not going to like try to cram in all I can. Like, for example, if I was driving everybody in the car and I had 10 minutes to myself to go the next place, I would probably just turn everything off and think like just in my own head. Cause that was something I could do to control like the, the, it felt like chaos. Mm-hmm. So downtime is really big. And then a uh, routine and then setting good boundaries to the extent of your ability. All those things can be very helpful. I found that understanding it has then helped me with work because I know for me giving out a lot. So if I'm doing a lot of video, if I'm doing live coaching, if I'm speaking, when I'm giving out a lot, I've learned that then I have to take quiet to be able to just kind of refill my tank. And so a lot of times, so for instance, tonight I have a, I'm doing a live coaching session and I know, okay, well then I need to build in time this morning that I'm going to give myself just more downtime to prep for that. And, or if I'm on the road and I'm speaking, I know I have kind of three hours where I can really give it my all and then I need a break. And so learning these things about me has been really helpful so that I'm not pushing myself to a place where I don't have anything to give and I'm needing to give, you know, so that I'm, I can bring my A game and my best self. And so I think that's been really helpful to me as well. And then to understand that it's okay to like the clean countertops and it's okay to say, you know what, this piece of clothing, I don't care how cute it is and how stylish it is. It's not going to work for me because this is going to bug me every single time (laughs) when I wear it. It is understanding those things. And, you know, for my, for my child to just, to give them that they need quiet and they need downtime and they need space and they are going to be picky about the clothes that they wear and, and and understanding that and that when we're in places where there's lots of people we need to kind of maybe you need to just go go to the bathroom for a little while you know to just kind of get away <laughs> like I've done that so many times and it's like okay I love people but now I'm just going to go stand in a bathroom stall for just a few minutes which sounds so weird but sometimes you just got to <laughs> do what you got to do and so sometimes you do <laughs> And so I, I love to just talk to other people who get this and um, have that common understanding and figure out, you know, what what works for them. So thank you for sharing, um, for sharing that, and thank you for writing about this in your book and helping me and so many other people feel less alone and feel like something's not wrong with us. This is okay. Oh, absolutely. I mean, once you learn something that is so simple and so easy to implement, but makes such an astounding difference in your life. You can't keep that to yourself. Mm, Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the, let's close out with the questions that I ask all my um, podcast guests. And that is number one, super easy question for you. Well, maybe not. What are you, (laughs) what are you reading right now? (laughs) It's like you picked it just for me. Well, right now I am I have a summer reading guide that comes out every year from Modern Mrs. Darcy. So this is the time of year where I am almost frantically trying to just read as much as I can, as quickly as I can, so that I know the books I think my readers are going to love the most and that I love the most to put in the guide. So you do you find that you spend a lot of your time reading books that are not yet released? This time of year, I yes, a ton. I can't do that year round. And I'm glad I don't need to for work because I really love the balance of old and new. I love to read a variety of things, but this is the time of year when I definitely tip towards the new, but it's going to tip back come May, actually right around the corner. When does, when does the guide come out? 
May 16th. And can people, if they sign up for your email list, then they will be notified when it comes out. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, so we can put the link in the show notes to that. Um, and you also, I was just going to mention that you do such a great job of sharing ebook deals every day. I love to get your ebook deal emails. So if anybody loves ebooks, be sure. Is Do you have a page on your site? I'm assuming there's a page on the site where they can sign up for those. Uh, yeah, I think it's in the top header. Okay. Well, we will put the link for that also because I for people. Oh yeah. It's just right in the top navigation. Okay. Look, (laughs) especially as we go into summer when it's, and there's more time for reading and getting a great deal on ebook, you do a fantastic job of letting people know when there's great deals on ebooks. And then what's saving your life right now? This could be a productivity tip or life hack or anything that is making your life better, easier, or more enjoyable. Walking to work, which is funny because I work from home, but that's why I started doing it. I do sit on my bum all day at my computer or I like lap the house looking for the book I need. And I realized I just needed a little breathing room between telling my kids goodbye when they go to school and, you know, doing my dishes and my laundry and getting to my desk. So I started taking Daisy and walking around the block if I'm in a hurry or a long lap if I'm not just to set the tone and take a deep breath and give myself a morning commute, even though I work from home. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I really, really love it. I just started doing this a couple months ago. I love that. I was reading, it was Cal Newport's. I'm trying to remember if it was his digital minimalism or deep work. I can't remember which one, but he was talking about the importance of taking time to walk outside. And I was really challenged by that because I walk on the treadmill in the early morning. Typically that's when I work on Instagram and read and do different things while I'm walking on the treadmill. I know it's ridiculous, but that's just my time. Maybe because I'm an HSP, I need that quiet time in the morning. (laughs) That's not ridiculous. That sounds great. It's I love it. I look forward to it and I'm multitasking, but also it's like filling my soul and getting some exercise. But I was challenged with thinking, I need to be walking outside too, because I spend so much time indoors. And yes, there's sun coming in from the windows, but it's not the same as walking outside. So I love that you're, so you walk, it's, so you, you get your home stuff done and then it's like you make the transition. Is that, is that what you're saying? So that's right. Yep. I, I start, that. I start heating the water in the kettle before I leave. So then when I get back, I walk in, I take off her leash, I make a cup of coffee and then it's time to work. That is so brilliant. I I might steal that idea. And I love that it's walking to work. So then it's like, you're telling yourself home stuff is shut down. Now I'm focusing on work. So it's this good compartmentalization as well. I'm trying Crystal. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And thank you for just sharing so much wisdom with the world um, and so much inspiration for reading. And I just, I love everything that you are doing and I such a big fan of you. And I'm so honored that you would come on for a second interview. So thank you. Well, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. As always, if you have any question on any topic you'd love for Jesse and I to answer on a future episode, or you just have feedback or suggestions, or you'd love for us to change something or do something different, we love to hear from you. We love your emails. And so you can send an email to crystal at moneysavingmom.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Crystal Payne Show. Have a great week. And remember, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your attitude. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 